We'll see what the Lord does. Now, so far in Romans 9 and 10, we've seen Israel's past. We've seen God's sovereign sovereignty and choosing them as a nation according to his election of grace, not because they deserved it, not because they were a huge nation or righteous. And God even shared that with them. He didn't choose them because they were righteous. It's because of God's grace, because of God and his love for them. And so we've seen their past. We've seen their present or how God is dealing with them presently. And tonight we're going to get a glimpse of Israel's future. And so we'll look at verse one in Romans 11. And we read the following. I say then. Has God cast away or rejected his people? That is Israel. He says, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. That is the people who he knew beforehand. And if he knew them beforehand, then he chose them beforehand or do you not know what the scripture says of elijah how he pleads with god against israel saying lord they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and i alone am left and they seek my life but what does the divine response say to him i have reserved for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, a false god. Even so then, in verse 5, at this present time, there is a remnant. In other words, there is a small believing minority, the faithful few, if you will, according to the election of grace. So they were chosen by grace as his chosen people, as his chosen nation. And so the apostle Paul, so far in these verses, he brings up and addresses the question of whether God has totally rejected the Jews, the nation of Israel as his chosen people. Has he totally cast them aside and cast aside the plan and purpose that he has for them? Well, the apostle Paul uses an example to show them that the answer is no. They're not totally cast away. He's not done with them yet. They're not totally rejected. And he uses himself as an example. Because the apostle Paul was a part of the minority of Israelites who believed. So if there's a faithful few, if there's a minority of Israelites who believe, that's some. So that means that them being cast away is not total. Them being cast aside, it's not a total rejection. He's not through with them yet. And the apostle Paul uses himself to relate to the Israelites. The Jews who may have a question because they've been, they've been hearing in this letter to the Romans how God reached out to the Gentiles for salvation. 
How both Jews and Gentiles are sinner, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they all need to go through Jesus. That the commandment, just having them, just trying to do it on their own, it's not good enough. They've heard that. And so no wonder some may think, well, is God done with us? The apostle Paul is relating to them. And I want to submit to you that God strategically puts us in people's lives that we can relate to as well. So that people can see that, oh, you know what? God is still working. I had a question of whether or not God can save people like me. But you being in their lives, us being in their lives shows them an example that, yes, God can and is working through people of various backgrounds. And so God strategically places us in people's lives that we can relate to, just like the Apostle Paul was able to relate to the Israelites. But then the Apostle Paul uses another example to show them that the rejection is not total. It's not final. It's not forever. And the next example he uses is Elijah and his situation. And we see a quote here from Elijah where he says, Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. See, at that time that Elijah spoke those words to the Lord, Ahab was the king of Israel. And at that time, he was the most evil king of Israel. And his wife was Jezebel. And so prior to this quote that is used here in these verses, Elijah had a battle against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And of course, he won that battle, showing that the Lord, the God of the Bible, the God of our scriptures is the true and the living God. He showed that. And then on top of that, after he won that battle, he he killed, he executed all of the false prophets, all of those prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel found out. From her husband, King Ahab, what Elijah had done. And she put out a hit on Elijah. I'm going to kill you just like you kill those prophets of Baal. And Elijah, fresh off of victory, you would think that he would be bold. Super bold. But he ran away. And he ended up at Mount Horeb which is another name for Mount Sinai. And he hid in a cave at that point. And then the Lord came to him and was like, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then he began to complain against the children of Israel. They've killed your prophets. Lord, they, they torn down your altars. They have forsaken your covenant. Lord, I'm the only one left. I'm the only faithful prophet i'm the only faithful israelite left but god revealed to him that i've reserved the remnant of seven thousand who have not bowed the knee to baal i've reserved for myself a faithful few and so this is a perfect example besides himself that the apostle would use that god always has a remnant he always has the faithful few That he elected by grace. 
He never leaves himself, as one commentator will put it, without a witness. And specifically, verse 5, obviously, is talking about the few Israelite believers. I'm going to stress that. He's talking about the few Israelite believers. But then just so we can get a point of application... Because this is not just for informational purposes, because the word of God is living, it's powerful, it is sharper than the two-edged sword. We want to get a living word for tonight, what I would call a, a timely word for tonight. And so whether we're talking about Jewish people who are saved, and now a part of the church, obviously, or Gentiles who are saved and are also a part of the church, Whether or not that's the case, Jewish, Gentile, nationally speaking, if you're part of the faithful few, here's the point. We are elected by grace. Grace being the key word, God's undeserved, unearned favor. And if by grace, as we continue to verse six, then it is no longer of works. You can't work to be chosen. You can't work to be saved. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. It's no longer a gift. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So God cannot be persuaded by anyone to be chosen beforehand. He's an eternal being. He makes his choices in eternity before any work or thought is done. So what do we do with that truth? If you're a believer tonight, what do you do with that truth? So you're telling me, God, that I didn't earn that? I've always heard growing up, Lord, that I I had to earn my way into a position or whatever the case may be. And you're telling me I can't earn this. So what do we do with this truth? We simply praise God for it. What then? Israel, focusing mostly on the nation of Israel, has not obtained what it seeks. They haven't found what they're looking for, but the elect, the few chosen ones who are part of national Israel, they have obtained it. And the rest were blinded. In other words, the rest of them were hardened. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, a a spirit of deep sleep or spiritual insensitivity eyes that they should not see or ears that they should not hear to this very day. And it was to that very day that this letter was written, that that was applicable and it is still applicable today. What we've read about the spirit of stupor and the the spiritual blindness upon the majority of national Israel And what is one of the things that Israel tried to obtain? Because we we see in verse 7 that Israel had not obtained what it seeks. So what is that that it seeks, that it's looking for? They're looking for righteousness, but righteousness through keeping the law, as we mentioned in several lessons. And why didn't they obtain it? For those of you who are new or visiting, it states it in in Romans 9, verse 32, the first part of that verse. 
It says, because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. Now, there are a few things that I want to point out about Israel's blindness, this spiritual blindness to where they're blind to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, that he is their promised Messiah prophesied in the law and in the books of the prophets. There's a few things to point out about this, a few facts. And number one, it's not because God is cruel that he has given them that spirit of insensitivity to spiritual truth or that that spiritual blindness. This is what you would call the judicial blindness. This blindness came upon them because they didn't want to see. And because they didn't want to see the truth, then that, then God gave them over to what they wanted to be. You want to be blind? Then here you go. Did the same thing to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It said God hardened his heart. But if you read several times, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so God strengthened him in his position. And so this is, number one, a judicial blindness because they chose to reject Jesus. But also, this blindness is partial. It is not blindness that has come upon every single person who is a part of national Israel. Because again, the Apostle Paul was a Jew. Many of the early disciples were Jews and they believed. But they were the faithful few. They were the remnant. And so this is what you would call a partial blindness. The majority are blind. And then number three, this blindness, as we'll see in the study, is temporary It's a temporary judicial blindness. In verses 9 and 10, it says, and David says in the Old Testament, in Psalm 69, he says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Their table represents, speaking of the Israelites, it represents their privileges and blessings And he said, let it become a snare and a trap to them, a stumbling block, recompense to them, which means let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Or in other words, let their backs be bent or weak forever from troubles. See, the Israelites have been blessed by so much, so many great privileges As God's chosen people, as God's chosen nation, special people. But they focus more on their position and privileges. They focus more on the blessings than on God, than the one who blesses. They focus more on those gifts than on the gift giver. And it became a trap for them and it led to their troubles. What brings the question that we all have to ask ourselves. The question is, have we been blessed so much that we too have taken our eyes off the one who blesses? Are we focused more on the, the things that we receive from God than on the one who gives? Where our main focus should be. Now I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall in verse 11? So what is he saying? What is he asking? Have they stumbled that they should 
never, ever recover. Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles or non-Jews was made available to them. Not that the Gentiles were automatically saved. And you can see this again in the book of Acts. As Pastor Jim is going through that on Sundays. They would go to the synagogues. They would preach the gospel to the Jews. Matter of fact, in the last book of Acts. While the apostle Paul was on house arrest. He would, some Jews were coming to him. And some received the gospel. Some didn't. But even then he told them. That, that you have to hear the gospel first. You're Jews. You should have expected the Messiah. You have the law. You have the prophets. They were supposed to be the witnesses to the Gentiles. They rejected the Christ. And so the apostle Paul would say, well, since you rejected it, then the gospel is going to be shared with the Gentiles. So we see that order. We see that priority in sharing the gospel. But if salvation was made available to the rest of the world when the Jews rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, how much more of a blessing would it be when they finally receive their Messiah, their anointed one? And when that happened, when that happens, we're going to we're going to see God restore them fully. We're going to see that uh, culminate. And what we call the millennial kingdom. They're going to be restored. But but first they, they would need to receive Christ. And so if you think we're blessed now because salvation is available to us. Imagine when they're restored. Imagine when Jesus becomes their Messiah. When they receive him as the Messiah. For I speak to you Gentiles. I speak to you who are of the Gentile nations. Physically speaking, in verse 13, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. I make the most of my ministry, the apostle is saying. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. And so as the apostle Paul is carrying out his calling to the Gentiles, doing what God wants him to do in his ministry to the Gentile, as that is going on, he still has this goal in mind to reach his people for Christ. And so in our ministering, in our personal ministering, whatever gifts, whatever calling God has for us to serve in the body of Christ, I wonder if we have lost sight of ministering to and witnessing to those who are physically related to us. Well, I know many of us, myself included, are closer to our our spiritual relatives, brothers and sisters in Christ, than we are to many of our physical blood relatives. I know that's true, but the Apostle Paul, as he was ministering, witnessing to the Gentiles, he didn't forget about those he had a connection to physically. He wanted them, provoke them to jealousy. But are we forgetting our physical family members who are right under our noses? Oh, I've been guilty of that. But I pray for opportunities that God would open doors for me to share the gospel with them. And some I have. And many of you have. And, And they could be some of the hardest people to witness to because they know about the old you. 
that's not your fault. Because you're a new creation. It's not your fault that they remember. Obviously, we can't change the past. It's not your fault that they reject what you're sharing with them. But you keep praying for them. You keep you keep loving them. You keep praying for the open doors and even pray that, okay, if they don't want to hear you, that God will send another ambassador to them to share the gospel with them. But the apostle Paul never forgot, forgotten his countrymen. He always had them in mind. And in verse 15, he said, for if they're being cast away, that is, of course, temporarily is the reconciling of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? In other words, when they finally accept Jesus as their Messiah, when they finally receive him, it'll be like bringing the dead back to life. See, right now they are, of course, as we know very well, they are in the land God has promised to them. But they are in the land at this time in unbelief as a whole. But of course, as we see in this lesson, there is a faithful few there. There is a remnant that God has there who do believe. And we're blessed to support those missionaries as a church who are living there. But they're back in the promised land in unbelief. In general. But it's, it's going to be an awesome time. When they are spiritually alive. Because when they're spiritually alive. Not only will they be alive unto God. But all of creation will be regenerated. I'm talking about during the millennial kingdom. When we see their full restoration. There's going to be worldwide knowledge of God. There's going to be worldwide peace. There's going to be order restored. And and I know tonight there's some order in some of our lives that we want to be restored. And one day we're going to see a fullness of that restoration. and, And the Jews are a part of God's plan. They haven't been cast away Totally, permanently. Now, I would even say, because I don't know every single person in here tonight personally. And I'm not just staring at any faces in particular. But I, but I would say that just like how the Israelites, the Jews are back in their land right now, but are not spiritually alive. I will submit tonight that. That maybe there's somebody here who is physically alive, physically moving around, but spiritually they're not alive. Well, the good news is you have an opportunity to receive Christ tonight, the one who died for your sins. That's the good news. So in other words, what I'm saying that there's people in here who are living, but not living. You're breathing, can touch things. People can shake your hands. You're living, but you're really not living because true life is in Christ. True life comes through a relationship with him. Person is really living when they receive the life of God. 
The life of God is eternal life. He's the only one who can give eternal life because he is the life giver and he is an eternal being. So he's the only one who can give life and to give it for eternity. That you'll live for eternity in verses 16 through 18 for if the first fruit is holy. Now, this is referring to Abraham, Abraham and the other patriarchs. Isaac and Jacob, then the lump, the batch of dough. The Israelites, the Jews, is also holy, set apart to God. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you, speaking to the Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And so this picture of the olive tree, its root, the trunk, the trunk from which the branches were broken off. The branches of the wild olive tree branch, they all, of course, involve Abraham and the patriarchs. So I believe is the root here. Who God gave his promise to, to Abraham and then to his descendants. So he would be the root. And then you have the line of privilege, which would be the trunk that the branches are attached to. And then, of course, the branches would be the Jews and the Gentiles viewed collectively. Would be the wild olive tree branches. That are grafted in. And so again if you see it in context. It's talking about the Gentiles collectively. Not necessarily the church as a whole. Which is mixed with Jews and Gentiles. Nationally who've trusted in Christ. So this is talking about the Gentiles. Collectively. It's not even talking about individual believers at this point. Because remember the, the lesson as we started off. Is talking about national Israel. How they're temporarily cast aside. And the Gentiles God right now was focusing his attention on the Gentiles. And yes, there's still a remnant of the Jews, but the attention primarily right now in the church age is on Gentiles. And the scripture says in Acts 15, 14, that God right now was taken out of the Gentiles of people for his name. Therefore, along with the, these faithful remnant of the Jews and the Gentiles who believe Together, they are partakers. They share in the blessings, which is the fatness that is promised to Abraham and his children. We share in that, the Gentile believers. And these Gentile believers collectively, those who believe they're warned against boasting against the Israelites, boasting, looking down on the Jews. And so from this lesson, it shows here that there is no room for anti-Semitism. There's no room for that in our lives as believers, especially those of us who are Gentiles, nationally, physically speaking, who have received Jesus. No room for anti-Semitism. Because we, we're, we're partaking of the rich blessings promised to Abraham and the Jews. And the Jews, or I'm sorry, and the Gentiles, And we're talking about keeping pride in check right now. The Gentiles who remember their place. That they're not the root. If we remember our place. That'll help keep pride in check. 
help keep anti-Semitism in check. We don't support the root. The root supports you. We we're blessed by the blessings God promised to Abraham and his descendants. You will say then branches speaking to Gentiles. You will say then branches. These these Jews were broken off. They were knocked off of their uh, position of privilege so that we'll be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. That's the reason you're there. Not because you were better Gentiles. So don't be haughty, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel and, and, and temporarily cast them aside from their from their privileged position for the time being that he may spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail. We see God's severity, but toward you, Gentiles, we see goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So don't look down on the Israelites. Don't be haughty, but but fear. And and I couldn't say it better than one Bible teacher. So I'll, I'll just read this quote. He said that that his severity is manifest. In the removal of Israel from the favored nation status. It must be constantly borne in mind that Paul is not speaking of the church or of individual believers. He is speaking about the Gentiles as such. Nothing can ever separate the body of Christ from the head and nothing can separate a believer from the love of God. And we learned that earlier in Romans chapter eight. But the Gentile people. As a group can be removed from their present position of special privilege. Don't look down on the Jews. Yes, right now God is focusing on the Gentiles and drawing out a people for himself. But don't look down upon them. Fear. So if the Gentile believing group as a whole were to remember how they arrived to that position of blessings and privilege, then that would be another way to prevent pride or to keep pride in check. Because how do they arrive? How does anybody arrive? That position is blessing. It says by faith. By grace through faith. And here specifically it's talking about faith in these verses. How about us uh, as individual? How are we doing with remembering that that we are blessed because of the grace of God? Not because of how good you look. Not because of what kind of shoes you wear, what kind of house you have, what neighborhood you live in. But it's because of the grace of God. So when I find myself getting to that point of complaining why God didn't answer a prayer, I have to remind myself, oh, you know what? I don't deserve it anyway. And if it were really good for me in God's eyes, then he would give it to me. He gave me his best gift of all as stated in the previous lesson. That is Jesus Christ. So if there's anything else, if he already gave the best, if there's anything else good for me, he's not going to withhold it. And whatever he gives me is according to his grace. And so I cannot complain. And they also, as we continue in verse 23, Romans 11, if they do not continue in unbelief, now going back to the nation of Israel, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. 
For if you who were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and you were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, if you were grafted into that, that trunk of blessings and privilege, then how much more will these, the Israelites, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And so we completely see here, hopefully we see here that this is against replacement theology. The Gentiles or even the church as a whole made up of Jewish and Gentiles who come together and they're the church. It's one body. Do not replace Israel. The nation. So we don't teach replacement theology here. As a matter of fact, if you pay attention, if we really tune into the lesson It says that the Gentiles partake. They share in the blessings along with that remnant of believing Israelites, not replace them. And so that's not what we teach here. For I do not desire, brethren, as I continue in verse 25. I don't desire that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there is a partial hardening, a partial blindness that has occurred to the nation of Israel. We talked about that earlier. Until when? Until the last Gentile believer believes. And then that is going to complete the body of Christ. Now, some of you, I don't I don't I don't know how into cartoons you were when you were younger, but I used to watch a cartoon called Voltron. And so that last piece of Voltron, that big old robot that, that formed the, the, you know, the head or the, the arm or whatever, kind of picture that as a church, that last believer, Gentile believer will form the full body of Christ will form uh, the, the, the full bride of Christ to where Jesus will come back for his bride, will come back for his church and what we call the rapture. And so the rapture is, is the next prophetic thing that's, that's going to happen. And it can happen at any time now. But what if you are that last person who God is going to use to reach that last Gentile for Christ? That would be an awesome thing. And that's why we always have to be ready to preach the gospel in season and in out of season. You could be that person God uses to reach that last person. And then all of us get to get out of here to meet our Lord in the air. In verses 26 and 27. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer, that is Jesus, will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so those who are of the nation of Israel who are alive at the end of the tribulation period. And then they see Jesus and receive him. They'll they'll be saved. In other words, they'll be ready to receive him at his second coming. The rapture is not the second coming. I believe the rapture happens first. We're taken out of here first, the true believers, the church, and then the tribulation period. And then we come back with Christ. And at that time, the national Israelites will be ready to receive Jesus as their savior. 
as their Messiah. As we see here in Zechariah 12.10, it says that I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me. They're going to look on the Christ. They're going to look on the Messiah whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And they will grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Then in Luke 13, 35, as, as Jesus lamented over Jerusalem, who was not willing to receive him at that time, Jesus said, see, your house is left to you desolate. And as surely I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, at the end of the tribulation, they're going to be ready to receive him. He's when at the end of the, the church age. At the end of God's focusing on the Gentiles to draw the people for himself during the tribulation, his focus is going to be back on Israel. He's going to continue his plan with them to fulfill that. And they're going to be ready to receive him. And it says here, you, you, you're not going to see me again. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're going to finally be ready to receive him as their Messiah. And they will. Now, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, for the Gentiles advantage. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They can never be withdrawn. They can never be taken back. For as you were once disobedient to God, that's Gentiles, yet have now obtained mercy through the Israelites disobedience. Remember what we said? Because they rejected the gospel, the disobedient Gentiles were able to hear the gospel and they receive that mercy from God and God saved. That is those who believe. Even so, these also have now been disobedient. So the Jews now have been disobedient, just like the Gentiles were before salvation. That through the mercy shown you Gentiles, Israelites may also obtain mercy for God has committed or imprisoned them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And so you see this cycle and it's a pretty cool cycle because the Gentiles partake of the blessings of the children of Israel. And then Israel in the future will partake of the mercy that is shown to the Gentiles. And so this is cool cycle that God has going. So when it's all said and done, nobody will be saved apart from the mercy of God. That is us not getting what we really deserve, which is punishment, which is hell, which is eternal separation from God. And so if we receive mercy, then we escape judgment. And so nobody, Jew, Gentile, physically in the flesh, none of us will be saved apart from God's mercy because everyone, even the disobedient Jews are all in prison to disobedience. So that the only way out is through mercy. The only way out of that prison of disobedience is through the mercy of God. And so if, if salvation were on a roadmap and you're trying to get to a place called salvation, the only way we'll get there, if we think of it as a roadmap, if, is if we go down a street called Mercy Street. That's the only way according to the word of God. Now, as we think about what we've heard, as we think about what we've read, I know as I've thought about it and prayed about it, 
One word that came to mind as I've considered this lesson is, is the word faithful. And the word faithful, if you think about the synonyms or look up the synonyms, it can mean trustworthy, dependable, or constant. And in different areas of life, what we do, we, we look for faithfulness. We look for faithfulness. We look for constancy and trustworthiness. We look for dependability in people. Before we hire somebody for a job, we want to look at their track record. We want to look at their evidence of faithfulness. Do you have evidence of being faithful? Do you have evidence of being dependable? Before putting an athlete in a game, do you have evidence that we could depend on you? Do you have the skills that we could depend on that are reliable to where when I put you in the game, you're not going to mess up? Before you marry somebody, you, 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 you want to make sure that they are dependable, that they are going to be faithful to you and keep those vows that you plan to, to, to repeat after the minister. On that wedding day. And so we look for dependability and faithfulness in people throughout life. We look for evidence. And in tonight's lesson, we see evidence of God's faithfulness. His dependability in regard to Israel. Because the scriptures tell us in this lesson that he has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. It tells us that although he temporarily set them aside, that he still made sure that there was a remnant, a faithful remnant, according to his election by grace. We see that there's still a plan in place to save Israel. As it told us that all Israel will be saved. So we see his track record of dependability, of faithfulness. It tells us that they are beloved because... Of his promise to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Romans eleven twenty nine tells us that his gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Those gifts and callings that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants. He will not take them back. And so we see evidence of God's trustworthiness, of his dependability, of his faithfulness. And this evidence of his faithfulness to Israel is important. Darrell, why are you harping on that faithfulness to Israel so much? Because, Darrell, not all of us in here are a part of national Israel. Not all of us in here are are Jews physically in our flesh. So, Darrell, why is that so important to look at his faithfulness to them? And that's because... If he's faithful to them, that means he's going to be faithful to the Gentile believers. He's going to be faithful to every single person who's a part of the body of Christ that we call the church. And so specifically, his his faithfulness to Israel shows us several things. And, And there's three points. Number one, it shows us as we think about his faithfulness to Israel, it shows us that he is faithful to who he is. He is faithful to who he is. In Malachi 3, 6, the first part of that verse, it says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. He has a constant character. His attributes will never, ever change. It won't diminish. It can't. His attributes can't even get better. He is as good as it gets right now as he is. And number two, his, it shows us that he is faithful to what? He is to us to what he is to us. He is our father. 
He is our provider. He is our savior. He is our source of peace. He is our source of life. And number three, his faithfulness to Israel shows us that he is faithful to keep his promises. And one verse that really ministers to me, I know people talk about life verses. If anybody asked me, it would be Philippians 1.6. Where it says being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. See, in this lesson, the, there was a question that, that was put forth. Has God cast away his people? Has God, is he totally done with national Israel? And we know the answer is no, but, but maybe there's someone in here. Maybe you just messed up recently as a Christian. And maybe you think that God is totally done with you. Oh, I haven't lived up to expectations of, of the pastor or this other Christian or brother, Christian brother or sister in Christ. Or I haven't maybe even lived up to my own expectation. Or I read about Moses. I, I read about David. I read about Paul and Peter and I have not lived up to those expectations. So maybe God is done with me. So maybe there's somebody in here who is thinking that way. Maybe there's somebody who's thinking, oh, I did one sin after after receiving Christ and now God has taken away that salvation. No, I like this, that God is not a quitter. He he didn't give up on Israel. He's going to turn his attention back to them one day, as we talked about earlier. And he has not given up on us and he won't give up on us. Our God is not a quitter. As the worship team comes to the stage. But I like this next part, these last few verses as we get ready to close. After realizing the plan of God for Israel and the Gentiles. And how God makes everything come together. After realizing that. The Apostle Paul breaks out in praise. And. Maybe if you still have your Bible open or those of you who read from a device. And if you're looking at the New King James Version, feel free to read with me. So on the count of three, we're going to read verses 33 to 36 out loud. Again, this is the praise that began to flow out of the Apostle Paul. She thought about. Wow, God's awesome plan for Israel and the Gentiles. Here we go on the count of three. We're going to read 33 through 36 in Romans 11. One, two, three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him 
are all things to whom be glory forever. And the church said, amen. And so we too, along with the apostle Paul, we should be praising God. When we consider God's faithfulness, we, when we consider how God says that he's going to do something. And although there seems to be a roadblock, he finds some kind of way to accomplish his purposes. We should be praising the Lord the way the apostle Paul did. We should be praising God for being faithful to what his word says, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Your situation right now, it may look it may look like a, a tragedy. It may be a tra- tragedy. It may look like there's completely no way out, that every single door has been shut. But the Lord said, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that he's going to work all things together for good and our faithful God will be faithful to what his word says to work all those things together. Even though we can't figure it out, even though we can't see it right now. And so we should be praising God for that right now, even before it happens. Why? Because God promised it and he's a dependable God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. And many of us, Lord, have been praying for things. We haven't seen the fruition of it. We haven't seen the completion of it. But we know, Lord, that you are faithful. Lord, you say that you love us. And we trust you, Lord. You're trustworthy. Lord, you say that you know the very number of hairs that are on our head. Which means, Lord, that you know everything about us. And because you're faithful. I trust what you say, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would prevent and block every word of doubt that the enemy is throwing in the hearts and throwing at the ears of my brothers and sisters in Christ right now. I pray that you'll block them, that that those words of fear and doubt will be ineffective. Lord, help us all to To trust what you say. Because you have a a great track record. And we see it with the Israelites. We've seen it in our own lives thus far. So Lord, may you bless my brothers and sisters. As they leave this place and not your presence. May you use them in a mighty way this week. May the word that you share with them sink deeply within their hearts. And may you bless them with traveling grace on the way home. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, thank you for your attentiveness. Um, I said three hours, so if you don't mind staying, we have a couple more hours to go. Now, praise God, we made it through it all. But again, God bless you. We love you. God keep you. Um, if you need prayer, I'll be here and whoever wants to join me um, can come up for prayer and can pray for others as well. God bless.
seated above, throned in the Father's love. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. Never sinned, but suffered as if he did. And all authority, every victory is yours. All Awesome and powerful ever. Awesome and great is your name. You overcame. Power in hand, speaking the Father's plan. Sending us out. Light in this broken land All authority Every victory Everyone overcome.
will overcome. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Everyone overcome. Savior, Savior, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all our praise. You overcame. Awesome and power forever. Awesome and great is your name. You overcame. Let's just sing that out. Lift our voices. Savior. Yes, you did, Lord. We thank you. We give you praise. Just bless everybody as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.